most of our girls could use an extra dose of confidence. Some even seem to be on empty, which means we as coaches have the amazing opportunity to build them up or to knock them down, which we don't want to do. And we do our best. If you're a sweet spotter, you're probably not doing some of the things we say not to do later in this episode. But we are here to share some awesome tips from a mental game consultant whose primary focus is confidence for young women. So you ready for some knowledge bombs? Let's do this. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing. And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast. I'm Mel here with Alicia and a special guest I am so excited about through the Twitterverse and other lucky happenstance. We were contacted by this amazing human uh, and she's so great. Uh, I'm just going to read her bio from her website because it's awesome. So before we go anywhere, just keep this in the back of your head. We'll say it again. Alpha girl confidence. Remember that. Okay. So Shay. Shay is an expert coach and speaker on confidence and mindset for female athletes. Having worked with hundreds of youth female athletes and college teams from across the country, she's empowered girls from all walks of life to strengthen self-belief, to play and live confidently. As a founder of Alpha Girl Confidence, host of the Alpha Girl Confidence podcast, since we know you guys love podcasts, check that one out, and author of the best-selling book, She the Confident, Shay is widely regarded for her insights on confidence and mindset by soccer parents and coaches around the country. After overcoming her own struggles of self-doubt and lack of confidence throughout her club and college career, she knew that it was her life's calling to provide female athletes with the coaching that she wished she had. Shay is dedicating her life to teaching female athletes how to uncover their greatest superpower of all, allowing, to break them, allowing them to break free from their limitations and achieve their biggest dreams. Oh, it's so good. Nice job, you. I could tell, like, when someone can articulate that, that briefly... That clearly, you know, she's going to have good stuff to help your kiddos. So welcome to the show, Shay. So glad to have you. Thank you, Mel and Alicia. I'm so excited to be here and love the work you guys are doing. So can't wait to to dive in. Thanks. And as we talked about before, um, I bought your book, She the Confident, and I'm really excited to be able to read it because I just, I feel... I feel it's so important to have, to have other women empowering other girls, right? Because they just, they're struggling with so much right now. And I'm personally working with about 18 teams at the time, but I, I hear, I hear about the same three things, right? So what are some of the things that you hear from your athletes that they're really struggling with? Uh, I maybe like the top three things, uh, that you hear the most. Yeah. I love this question. Um, and, I think with COVID, it's it's heightened a lot of these things and maybe just brought more, you know, to our awareness. But first thing I would say is a fear of judgment. Um, and I think uh, uh, below that, which maybe it's its own separate thing is a fear of making mistakes. But I see a lot that girls and I guess everyone in general is so afraid of making mistakes because they fear being judged by their peers, by their coaches, by their parents. So that's one of the first things. Number two, I would say is the levels of anxiety that we're seeing with teenage girls. And this is the one specifically, I think, and you guys can probably, you know, attest to it as well, that since COVID it's, it's gone through the roof, right? 
learning how to go back to school, learning how to communicate with people again, you know, and just, I think just with all the the fear of and uncertainty in the world, um, anxiety and just mental health in general has, has been one of the toughest things. And then if I was to say a third thing, I think it would just be the whole social aspect of how to deal with complicated um, relationships, teammates, friends, all of those kind of things. Those are the three things that I really see coming up time and time again with the girls that I work with. Yeah, I, I would echo those same exact things. And in fact, um, unfortunately, about a month ago here in Michigan, we had a school shooting that was very publicized. And I was working with several teams that are right from that area. And just I could tell the lack of focus. And I asked them, how are you feeling? And a lot of them are scared. Um, even to go to school or, and it doesn't have to be that, right. But I think that that is, it heightens those actual emotions that you were talking about. Um, and it makes it almost impossible for them to be able to focus on one task or the things that they really want to focus on, like softball and school and, and things like that. Um, what is your experience with, um, specific anxiety issues and maybe how do you work with your girls specifically on those things? Yeah, I'm a, I am very good friends with anxiety, I would say. I've, I had it from when I was a kid. And for me, I've done a lot of work on it. You know, I had a therapist um, to really kind of uncover, you know, what's going on, you know, in my brain. Um, and it's, I think it started from when I was young. I, I used to have seizures and I, I kind of stopped having them when I was about five years old. But through all of throughout my whole, I would honestly say my whole life, I think there's always been this deep fear of, of me having a seizure again. And, and I, and when I was young, when I was a teenager, I had a lot of the anxiety, but I I didn't know how to express it. I didn't know what was going on. I thought that I was alone. I thought that I was weird. I thought there was something wrong with me. And so with that, like, I think when I talk to the girls about anxiety, the biggest thing that I want them to know is a number one, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling. And number two, like you are not alone. Because if I would have just known that I was not alone and there was other people out there dealing with the same thing I was dealing with, I think that would have made one of the biggest differences in how I, you know, worked with my anxiety throughout even my adult life. So I think that's one of the big things. And I even did a podcast on it, like the new way versus the old way of dealing with anxiety. And I would say the other big thing is learning to not fight with your anxiety and battle with your anxiety and resist your anxiety because then it just builds up even more, but to get to a level of accepting your anxiety and even loving your anxiety so that it can move through you instead of, you know, being like this built up negative energy. So those are a few of the things that like I really helped that helped me as I was going through it, even just two years ago. Um, and that I, you know, kind of share with the, the girls that I work with. You might have just done it, but can you elaborate more on the old versus the new way of dealing with anxiety? Because I feel like, like my generation, like you just shoved it down, you deal with it. Mentally tough means you just suck it up, right? Can you talk about what that means to you and how people from our generation now coaching these youngins can help shift to the new way? Yeah, I, I think that's the the biggest thing is it, it used to be like, don't show your feelings, push it aside, like deal with it later. And it used to be like, be this thing. And then it just continually, you know, the, the anxiety and the fear would just build up on each other. And pretty soon it's like this thing that we, we can't control. It's like this big monster inside of us. 
right? But the new way, it's like, can we first acknowledge that it's there? Can we accept that it's there? And can we be okay with it being there? Because as soon as you add resistance to any emotion, we add shame to the emotion, right? And I did that all the time. Every time I would feel anxious, it would like, why are you feeling this way? You shouldn't be feeling this way. So it was like this shame and fear and anxiety piled on top of each other. And it wasn't until I learned, like when I feel that emotion, I just need to sit with it. I just need to sit with it and I need to learn to work with it. So like now it's like, instead of pushing down your emotions, like we have to feel them. And I, I even like, I had a, a tweet the other day. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's like one of the most powerful things you can do for your mental and spiritual well-being and emotional well-being is to feel your emotions instead of trying to escape to escape them. And so I think it's going from now, can we feel these emotions as opposed to like trying to distract ourselves and trying to escape these emotions? That's really interesting because even as I'm thinking about what you just said and how we teach mental training, right? is that we almost sometimes with some of the techniques we try to divert, right? We try yeah. to focus on something else in the name of, of a positivity so you can focus on one thing at a time. But what are some of the tools and techni- techniques that you might consider or talk to your kids about that you're working with on how to make sure that you're doing it in the right way? Yeah, that's that's huge. So for me, the first thing is like, we need to just like be, get get present and get centered and an easy way to do that is, is breathing techniques, right? So there's, there's so many, I'm sure you guys, you know, talk about a lot, but I'll share my favorite one is, is alternate nostril breathing. So I don't know if you guys have, have you guys heard of that one? Okay, perfect. So it's, it's I'll, I'll obviously no one can see me, but it's where um, you, you plug one nostril at a time. So you inhale through one nostril and then you'll switch and exhale through the other inhale through that same nostril and exhale through the opposite nostril. So you'll do an inhale. So the, the, the first exhale is out of the new nostril, if that makes sense. Right. So it's kind of like hard for me to like explain it and do it at the same time. I'm like, talk and like plug your nose, Shay. Um, but really like for me, that's the one that gets me centered. And that's the one that will bring my heart rate down the quickest. So it also, it's important to realize what your what your, how your body reacts to anxiety so that you can use the correct tool. So breathing is a huge one. Um, and you can do it in the moment. It can be part of a visualization. It could be part of a meditation. Those are all tools. And then another one that I, I, you know, share with the kids to use at school. Cause that's a time when I used to get really anxious was at school, um, is to like, just ask your teacher, if you can go out outside and take a walk or even go out into the hall and take a walk. Because a lot of the time movement exercise can be one of the best ways to kind of get rid of that like negative anxious energy. Even dancing. It's a great one too. Yeah. <laughs> Break out like, hold on. Let me yeah. shake it out here. Hey, to teach. I just got to do a dance. Can you put on some Beyonce or something real quick for me? <laughs> I, I just flashed back to a time I needed that as a coach. I was spazzing yeah. behind my two assistants like, hey, what's this going to be? Why are we talking? They, they turn around like, no. Stop. You're right. I love it. <laughs> uh, so what are some ways that coaches can help notice these things in their players? Because I know a lot of the issue with dealing with emotions is trying to hold it in, trying to deal with it yourself. Um, what are some ways that coaches can notice it and then try to 
ease that person into more of that acceptance type of behavior. Yeah. You know what the first thing I would say is like, like talk about it first. Um, because if you don't talk about it, it's like, how can you expect your players to like feel safe talking to you about it? So maybe it's just opening, opening the door and and saying we have either sharing your experience with it or just, you know, saying, Hey, I know these emotions are here during this tough time. Like if you ever need anything, like open the door first. And then, um, you know, everyone, this is a tough one because everyone shows anxiety differently. Some people are really, really good at hiding it and you would never know if they're experiencing it. Right. So with that being said, um, I guess it's really getting to know your, your players individually, which I know is hard. If you have a roster of, you know, if you're in college, you have a roster like, well, in soccer, 30 players. Right. Um, so that can be tough, but I think it's just being so open and personable that your players feel like they can talk to you whenever you want. And then it's like noticing the little signs, like maybe they're not playing as hard. And instead of ragging on them for, Hey, what, what are you doing? Like, come on, what's up? It's like, you're like, Hey, bring them aside. Hey, is everything okay? So I think it's taking more of the the personal individual approach, which takes time. And if you have a staff that helps, because it's just so hard with anxiety, it's like, you can't really see it until you get to know the person to where you can kind of see the signs. And this is just more and more and more a part of my job as a coach. Um, I've always been, and we've talked about this on the podcast religiously, I've always been the relational coach, right? But I feel like um, it is a necessity to spend more and more time uh, with the kids one-on-one and even in team discussions and less and less with the skills. Yeah. So what I recognize that and I realize that's really important because we really have to focus on, right, teaching the whole and coaching the whole person, not just the athlete. And it's really shifted. And I think that that's a good thing. It's definitely talked about more. But how do you talk to those coaches that are really struggling with breaking away from practicing those physical skills all the time? And really kind of introduce, even like you said, in, in addition to introducing these things, but how do you talk to a coach that's really struggling with how to even begin and what and how the, imp- the importance of that? Gosh, that is, that is a tough question because it's a, it's a tough thing to approach. Like if, if a coach is kind of, I mean, they obviously have to be somewhat open-minded to like men working on the mental game in general, if they're, if they're not, it's like, and that's the, the, I think one of the biggest problems with, you know, girls, um, you know, is a, a lot of them go through verbal, verbal abuse with coaches because they just don't see it. So I think one of the biggest things that I personally would start with just thinking off the top of my head is getting them to understand like how girls work. Right. And, and, and obviously if it's a female coach, they, they kind of know, but a lot of male coaches don't really understand how girls, uh, you know, take on what they're saying. They don't understand the emotions that come. They don't understand why they overthink of everything. And so I think that could be one of the first thing is for, I think obviously mental training is so important for males and females, but for girls, it's, it's, I guess maybe even more important as far as the social aspect goes. Um, So I think just getting them to understand the importance of working on that and then showing them the benefits 
of like, hey, when your team does this, they'll work better together. When they work better together, they're going to get more runs, like whatever. So maybe it's like getting them to understand the outcome of it. But really for us, right, it's all it's all about the process of it. So I, I think that's a really good question. And and that's that's my take on it. Um, just off kind of first first thoughts. I don't know how many times I've gotten that question. Like, oh, you're a coach of females? You have a psychology degree? How do I coach girls? <laughs> I've met so many like loving, well-meaning dads who are like, it's different. <laughs> like, I would love to know the secret sauce. <laughs> like, there isn't one. Uh, but I could definitely say there are certain do's and don'ts um, when it comes to coaching females. Uh, what are some of those that you've seen? Like do this for helping their confidence. Don't do that if you don't want to bash their confidence. Oh gosh. Well, I think one of the biggest don'ts is don't call them out like in front of everybody. Like obviously give them feedback in front of everybody, but don't like like criticize or yell at them or call them out in front of everybody. Cause girls, everything is about how others perceive me right? Especially as a teenager. So that's one of the huge don'ts. And then one of the huge do's is like, just really like we all coaches are like, yeah, I want my players to make mistakes, but do you really like you say that, but do you actually believe that? Because there's so many coaches I've talked to and they're like, yeah, of course I want my players to make mistakes, but then their player makes a mistake and, and they, they react in this like, you know, egotistical way. And it's like, can you just like really, really show your players that making mistakes is okay, right? And then the other thing is, which this is a very blanket answer and how do we actually do this? But can we let go of our egos a bit when we coach? I think that's the biggest problem with youth sports. I said that really weird. With youth sports is, um, you know, if we could just let go of our egos a bit when coaching kids, I think that would make probably the biggest difference. But What's the answer to that? I don't know. I think we're still figuring it out. It is so true. I mean, the answer to that is programs for coaches, which they're not, they're right. not joining yet. Right. The people like we, that's my side of the things. And the coaches who have joined my side of the program, like they're ahead of that. <laughs> like that's a golden, like it's more of like a cohort. Not that people are like, now can you spread that message to others? Yes. Well, it, it just takes like so much awareness. Like mm-hmm. that's the first step. If coaches could just be more and not just coaches, humans, if mm. we could just be more aware, like that's half the problem is like when a coach yells at somebody, they, they don't see what they did. They don't see how it affected that girl in that moment. So maybe awareness is like the first step to releasing the ego. I, I thought the first step was admission, but we'll go. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe so. yeah. 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 I've had, and, and I've had that experience with a lot of coaches too. Like they just, they come up to me you're like, yeah, I teach mental toughness. I tell them to let it go all the time and to move on. And it's like, great. Stay confident. Just let go of it. I just yeah. let go. I tell them, I mean, when I grew up, I hear that all the time too. And it's like, I mean, even the last five years I've had to make adjustments right to the kids and and being just my 25th year and lord knows they're a lot different than they were three years ago let alone 10 so i think making that adjustment as you go along as well and 
embracing, because I hear this too, even in the workplace, like we need to fix these millennials and Gen Zs and to be more like us, right? And that's like, wait, whoa, whoa. Like we got to embrace, right? It, it's not their fault that they were born in a digital generation, right? And that they were born And it's not that phones. bad. And it isn't, that. it isn't a bad thing. Like embrace the positive <laughs> things from these, yes. from this group, right? Because every generation yes. has the good things and has the bad things. But yep. I also see a lot of older coaches like myself who don't actually understand or take the time to embrace the differences in the generations and what the kids COVID threw a whole loop for everyone. Yeah, clearly, but learning how to, to adjust right to the generational differences and, and accept that the phone is a part of their lives. So maybe how do we, how do we work that in? Right. I'm kind of going to on a different track here, but um, I have heard so many coaches say these things, but I think just taking the time to say, Hey, like we would love to learn from you. I think has really been helpful for the coaches that we have been introduced to right through our business. And I think that's awesome, but I, I would hundred percent agree, like stepping aside, it's not about you. As long as you recognize as a coach that it's not about you, then you can really help to help these girls. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of conversations too with, with even my, my college coaches and they'll say it's so different coaching girls now versus, versus you. And it's like, you know, thinking about it, you're like, oh yeah, I wish they were like us or whatever, but, but actually do we really, because if they were like us, then we society just stays the same. Like, I think we, we need this, this different, these different generations to make these, you know, these different shifts on the planet a little bit. Um, but I think it's like coaches just need to, and it's hard, but they need to try to understand which, how the heck do you understand a teenager these days? I don't know, but it's that, I think that's maybe the start of it is understanding why they do what they do, understanding, you know, just them as people. And then it's like, okay, now we, as coaches, we kind of have to adapt to the the current generation of whoever we're coaching. And yeah, the phones are part of their lives. They're a part of our lives. I'm addicted to my phone, you know, just as much as, as the teenagers are. Right. And, and so is my grandma and so is my mom, probably even more than I am. So it's like, it's a part of our lives, but can we just learn how to use it for good? Can we learn how to, um, you know, have put, put limits on ourselves and not like, you know, just using willpower because willpower doesn't really work, but it's like, how can we learn to use our phones and not let our phones use us? I'm still working on that myself. Yeah. (laughs) Totally guilty. When you get the reminder at the end of the week, like your phone time usage has gone up like, ah, how could it? It's not that many hours a day. <laughs> oh, I feel that. Um, another point really helped me understand it. It's like you don't have to have sympathy for everyone. You don't have to have gone through what they've gone through, but you have to have empathy if you're going to be working with people, just in general. Don't work with people. Yeah, and, find that job. <laughs> yeah, and also it's like I I feel like there's maybe a train of thought that the kids now need more sympathy and they need, you know, us to be more soft with them. But then it's also like we, yes, coddling, which is a huge, I don't know if I even want to call it an issue, but, but also it's like, can we, can we bring that empathy, but also demand a sense of personal responsibility? Because I think there's been a huge lack of personal responsibility. Um, I don't even want to say with this generation, I don't want to be that person, but Um, I think there's gotta be a balance between, you know, really like loving your players and accepting them and 
supporting them in that soft quote unquote way, but then also demanding, you know, personal responsibility and stuff like that. And personal like expectations and, yeah. and things mm-hmm. like that. And I remember running this drill in high school and it, it happened in when I was down in Georgia working with Mel's team too. Like they look to coach or t- teacher or parent for everything. So the example was the drill, right? Was, was hitting ground balls and it was supposed to be, did I feel that cleanly, right? That was the drill, pretty simple. And if it hit the glove and just kind of bobbled, but they picked it up, well, they look, is that count coach? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What's your level of expectation for yourself? Do you say that counts? It's not my, you need to make the decision. What's your level of expectation and what's your bar? And oh, that doesn't count. So just taking that, right. And so they're always looking like, so just let them have some, that's like figure out ways maybe to have them have that personal accountability and responsibility, even within drills, I think is a good step. I love that. Like I, I had a conversation with my college coach. I had him on my podcast and that was one of the biggest things he said is like, they, they look to you for all the answers and they, they don't know how to assess things themselves. And so I think that's huge is, is just letting them discover things on their own, letting them screw up on their own. And it's like not giving them out all the answers. Cause it is like, they make a mistake and they look over and it's like, was that right? Was that wrong? How mad are you at me? Like that kind of stuff. And there's no level of like, yeah, I guess personal expectation. That's, yeah, that's, that's important. So bringing this back to confidence, how do you, these tactics, these points of view, how do they go into building that true lasting confidence, not feel good stuff that wears off that kind of confidence that lasts even through the hard times? Like how does this all tie back to the things that you do with your clients? Yeah. So it's, it's evolved a lot. You know, it it used to be more of like the, the strategies, the visualization, the affirmations, like that kind of stuff. And it's evolved a lot more to where it's um, it's a lot more about doing the, the deep inner work and uncovering these like traumas, so to say. And cause really, I think it it comes down to like self-love right? Like, cause, cause looking at the, the biggest issues that I see time and time and time and time again, we I've gone through this a million times with the girls, the biggest fears. If I ask the girls on the call, what are your biggest fears? All of them will boil down to a fear of being judged, right? Whether it's a fear of, of a lack of success or a fear of uh, making mistakes or a fear of not being good enough. It's always about how other people perceive me. So if we can just learn how to like not necessarily get rid of the fear because the fear may always be there, but to move through the fear anyways and develop this deep sense of self-love. I always say like, if you love yourself, then it doesn't really matter what other people say. You may still care, but there's like, you know, I'm good with myself. So whatever you say to me, I will take it, but I'm not going to let it shake me. So like the way in which we do that is, is, is a lot of like, yes, it's the strategies and stuff like that, but it's also dealing with your fears and learning how to overcome those fears and, and get outside of your comfort zone and make the promises you keep to yourself. And like, the, as you guys know, there's like so many different layers to confidence, especially if we want it to be like this lifelong thing. And there's, there's no end point in my, there's no finish line. It's not like for me, I'm like, Oh, I'm a confidence coach. I'm confident. I don't need to work on it anymore. Like, no, that not at all. Like I'm, I'm working on it like with my girls, because whatever I learn, I will go and relate to them. And it's like, we're going through it together, but I don't even know if there's this like one 
answer that I can give you other than it just takes like a lot of the inner work, a lot of, you know, meditation, a lot of getting outside your comfort zone and in failing and learning from failure and, and just all of those things. So that's not really, that's my answer to you, to my roundabout answer to your question. Isn't it funny that it comes back to the good old cliche, trust the process. It is. It goes awesome. for us adults too. Like confidence is not some destination. Cause think about it, You don't want to just be confident. That means you've stopped. Yeah. Like if I'm just confident in everything I'm doing, it means I'm not leveling up anymore. So you're constantly going to be evolving and probably going back to some of the old insecurities and then, but I've faced it before. So let's keep leveling up. And I think that's the, the beauty of what we do. Like there's, there's always a next evolution, the next step. Yeah. That's the best part is that like, we get to go through and work on this stuff and then we get to go like, share and teach and, and support the kids and the coaches and stuff that we go through. So that's my favorite part of it. Mine too. I, I often say, I catch myself though. Like, I wish I knew what I, you know, in my twenties and thirties, what I know my forties. And then I'm like, well, no, actually, because that, I mean, that's the whole process of learning. Right. And I wish, I wish that, uh, there was a way to take my appreciation for the process and pass it down effectively, I guess. Like we, we try, we try every single day because what you, what you said is so important. Like even the consulting I do. Yeah. We talk about the mental tools, right. And the mental skills. We talk about that all the time, but in the how to piece, because that's the really important, because how do we become more confident? How do we focus under pressure? Yeah. We have some tools, but most of my conversations evolve into these things that, that you're talking about. And I would hundred percent agree every single girl, number one thing, fear of judgment, um, so I've, I've tried to help develop visual things for them to understand it's a process and, and things, but they still get lost in that somehow. So how, how do you continue to hammer that home with the teenage kids? Because they often can't see past tomorrow, even though we know this process is lifelong. What are some of the things that you might kind of talk to them about to help them through that on a daily basis? Well, it really is. I don't know if you can read that behind me. No one else can. So I'll read it out loud, but it says, Real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. So I share that with my girls all the time because, yeah, you're right. It's like instant gratification a lot of the time, you know, for a lot of us, but especially for, you know, teenagers and stuff. So it really is like whenever I give them homework or whatever you want to call it, like things to do on their own, it's just about taking one small step. And if you can just take one small step every day, then that's going to lead to big results. But it's like you, you never you never know how close you are to like having a breakthrough, not, not like being at the finish line. Cause we said there is no finish line, but you never know how close you are to having a breakthrough. And there's a story I tell, and I'll tell it like in a very succinct way. Um, but there's this, this Chinese bamboo, right? This is a real plant, Chinese bamboo. If you plant it next to other plants, you water it, you nurture it, all the other plants will sprout up pretty quick, but the Chinese bamboo will not. The Chinese bamboo will stay underground for, I think, please don't quote me on this. You can go look at it yourself. I think it's something like five years. It will stay underground. And then all of a sudden within a span of like a couple months, it'll sprout 90 feet into the air. So it's like, I use that example. It's like, if you stop like, Ooh, cause you're like, no, it's, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like I'm not becoming more confident. It's like, you never know how close you were to having some sort of breakthrough. 
just like that plant. So I'm a very, like, I love to use analogies and like actual tangible things. Cause for me, that helps a lot. So I love to try to bring random stuff. And a lot of times I'm like, that made no sense, but you know, at least I tried. <laughs> so, um, but those, th- that's kind of what I try to tell the girls is it's literally just about, you know, this one step. And, you know, if you can just take one step every day, then, then you're doing your job. Uh, is there anything we have not touched on yet that you feel you want people to know about in order to help female athletes be more confident? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, this was, has been an amazing conversation. We went like way deeper than, than we go, than I go on a lot of interviews. I, I love going deeper than just, you know, the strategies and stuff. So this is awesome. Um, but you know, for, for any, anyone listening, like this is true for all human beings, when we talk about like fear, cause this has been a big topic lately. When we talk about fear, fear of making mistakes of being judged, you know, of messing up all that kind of stuff. It's like the longer you avoid that fear, the bigger that fear grows. So if you can just like dive head first into that fear and make the mistake, right. It's like, next time you do it, Number one, you'll be proud of yourself for trying. Number two, it's like the fear shrinks. So the more you lean into your fear, the smaller that fear becomes. But the longer you avoid it, it just becomes this big Mount Everest. That you're like, I can never, I could never do that. And so that's that's kind of one thing that I've been seeing a lot recently that I've been sharing a lot is, you know, when it comes to your fears, like you just gotta, you gotta face it head on. And there's a lot of internal work that you can do as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, kind of, I guess one of the one things that I would like to kind of leave with people. I did, I did really relate to what you said because for, um, previously about the bamboo, right. Because Chinese bamboo, because I almost quit coaching, right. 10 years, 15 years ago, because it was rough parents, all the things. And I said, I'm going to give it one more year. Right which changed the trajectory of not only my coaching, but my career, but my life and my meeting Mel and all the things. And along the way of the business, right? We were struggling and we almost said, we can't, there's, we can't do this, right? And I think, that, I think that even adults can have those examples to relate to, which sometimes can be helpful, sometimes cannot, because I also find sometimes as coaches, we try to throw in the things like, well, just, just know that professional baseball hitters, they, they fail seven out of 10 times. Something like that is like, so on, like that cannot, cannot relate right to any, any softball player that is a teenage girl anywhere. So I guess just keeping in mind, coaches also may have stories to be relatable that maybe they can tie to, you know, and I, maybe more of a coach's level, I think. Um, but I do want to change gears and talk a little bit more about your book. What inspired you to write this book? It's she, the confident, the mindset advantage for female athletes. And I bought mine off Amazon. I got here in two days because Amazon prime. So Amazon prime. Yeah. Amazon prime. So tell us what inspired you to write the book. You know, I just wanted a way to get my message out to as many people as possible. And is it, I mean, I guess it is part of a lot of it is, is my story, but it's not like it's this new a lot of this new stuff. It's really just, I wanted girls to know my story so that they realize that they're not alone in what they're going through. I think a lot of it all comes back to that. Like as I had my book, I also had already had my podcast and stuff, but I I wanted a way like a tangible, like physical thing that girls could carry with them and like really get this like all encompassing stuff of what I teach. And now looking back on it, it's like, I I plan to write another book um, in 2022, 
because it's just like, I've learned and grown and evolved so much since that first book. Like for me, that first book, it's great. There's so many awesome things, but it's like, wow, it's so much has changed in two years. Um, but yeah, it's been one of the, I would say out of everything I've done in my business, obviously my podcast too, like, I love that. That's my baby. But I think the book has, has made the biggest impact in girls' lives. And it's just the best feeling in the world to, you know, get a, get a message from a girl or get a picture from a parent and, and just to, you know, see how they're using it and how it's, it's just, you know, how it's changing their life. So that's what inspired me to do it. Cause I, I wish that I would have had a little book like that when I was, you know, 12 years old, I think it would have made a big difference. So I wanted, you know, those girls to, to be able to experience and have um, what I didn't. And that is a wrap on today's episode. And I'm curious, did you know when your team does Alicia's consulting program, you get to join our coaching roundtable calls as a bonus. So not only are your girls creating a strong culture and learning mental skills all to help build their confidence, you're learning from myself and other coaches how to deal with specific real life issues. Like why are these girls crying all the time? Or how do I get them to have more fire? We legit talked about this just last week. So if you're interested in signing your team up for consulting and giving yourself the gift of a support system who gets it, reach out to alicia at mentalsweetspot.com today. That's A-L-I-C-I-A at mentalsweetspot.com today. All right, have a good one.